Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep community history alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. And today we have a very special guest, uh, Mariana Escobel Suarez, a Mexican graduate student at Memorial University's Department of Folklore. She is currently writing her thesis on the legend of La Llorona, uh, the weeping woman as a symbol of protest in Mexico. Her academic research interests include supernatural folklore, folk religion, and the intersection of folklore and politics. And we're going to talk about all those things today. Yes, yes. Thank okay. you for having me. Well, thank you for coming. So we've come out of uh, kind of the Halloween... Day of the Dead yes. time of year. Uh, so it seems like a good time to kind of have a chat about this. Uh, well, I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about Mexican folklore, but this is the one, the one character that I think non-Mexican people are probably most familiar with. Yeah, I 100% agree. Okay, so tell us a little bit about uh, La Llorona. Of course. Well, there are like countless versions of this story, uh, and it really varies a lot depending on of where in Mexico do you go. Uh, also, she's known in Latin America as well. Like, there's versions from Colombia, Chile, so... But the one that I'm familiar with is uh, the Mexican one. And the most basic premise of this uh, legend, I would say, is that she's a woman who gets... Fall, she falls in love with a man. And the man's, like, normally from a different social status than she is. So, like, they get together, they have a couple of kids, uh, but then he leaves her. Some, like, of the versions, like, he cheats on her, and others, like, she go, he goes and marries, like, someone from his same social status, and she can't bear the pain, so she goes crazy, kills her kids, and then commits suicide. And then her spirit is condemned to wander the earth because she's like so remorseful of what she's done that she's now searching for the souls of her kids, which she will never be able to find because she's like somehow in this kind of like limbo. That's why she's a spirit and her kids are in heaven. That's what like the, okay. the legend says. Yeah. yeah. And what, what do we know about the history of this legend? Like, did it start in one region and then spread? Like, what, what do we, what do we know? Well, it's, really hard to pin it down but there are like several historical accounts like uh, a lot of like scholarship that has come from folklore you know has tried to like find the origin of the story and I find that they normally cite a source from the year 1610 wow. in which like this Franciscan friar is talking about mostly the I would say the area of like where Mexico City is now so it's like more uh, with like related to Aztec kind of like traditions and they used to believe in a goddess called Siwakoatl, which means Siwa is um, snake or serpent, and Coatl is mujer. Or in, no, don't quote me on that. That's completely like the other way around. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know. My Nahuatl isn't like the best, but the fact is that it means snake woman, and she was a goddess of fertility. Okay. Uh, but she was also like the goddess that you would pray to when women died during childbirth. Um, and the way she manifested is that she was a woman dressed in white, carrying a baby and crying. So it's basically the way that people say that they see La Llorona, right? When they have any sort of like uh, encounter with her. So um, that's her historical basis, I would say. Uh, there's like other people who are saying, no, she's basically another white lady from European folklore <laughs> that got like 
came to Mexico with yeah. like the Spanish colonizers. And there's this other uh, branch of academia who's like, no, 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 she's like 100% Mexican and this is how she started. And so, yeah, there's like that big debate. I don't think it has been settled. Yes. Um, and probably never, it probably never, never will. will be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so around that time, so like 1600s, mm-hmm. Mexico City, what, what, what was the culture like at that time? It, because it was kind of a blending of, of different cultures. Yes. Yes, for sure. So like you have all of these Spanish friars that are coming to Mexico and they are trying to evangelize the indigenous population. So there's a lot of syncretism happen. And I think La Llorona, um, and like, for example, if your listeners are familiar with the Virgen of Guadalupe, it's like they get put in sort of like the same category at times because they have like this sort of like European iconography, but they are blended with the indigenous yeah. identity of yeah. Mexico. So I would say that was what was happening during that uh, moment. And yeah, La Llorona is interesting because many of the stories tell, tell us that she's an indigenous woman who falls in love with a Spanish guy. Okay. So she's symbolizing this clash, right, between these two um, cultures. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess. And you're, and you're saying that it, it is uh, a legend or a figure that's found kind of throughout the the region mm-hmm. are there regional differences do people have different stories that they tell about her yeah 100% like uh in many places it is connected to a certain like uh feature of the landscape right so like i collected a version in which a guy told me that there's this huge like rock in his community and that they say that La Llorona like that rock opens up and La Llorona comes out from oh, there oh okay yeah yeah and then uh, if you go to the southern part of Mexico in which it's more like a Mayan culture it isn't really like Aztec so like over there she didn't even kill her kids she like the guy just took them away and the way she manifests at night is that she's searching for them and you will hear like knockings on the door and you should not open the door at midnight because it's La Llorona. Uh, so yeah, it, it's really different depending o- of where you're going because she also has a strong connection to bodies of water. Okay. So, but for example, in Mexico City, we like nowadays we really don't have bodies of water and you still get a lot of people who say that they've seen her. And she's also become some sort of like, uh, omen for like catastrophes. People say that they heard her cries before the huge earthquake that we had in 2017 in Mexico City and also before the one that happened in 1985. So, yeah, she's always connected to this sort of, like, tragedy. She's, like, trying to warn people that something is coming. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, there are, like, so many folk beliefs attached to her. For example, one that I love, and I have, like, no explanation for this, (laughs) is that people say that if you hear her crying and she sounds really close to where you are, she's actually very far away. But if she sounds very far away, she's, like, super close oh, to you. Okay. So, like, you should be careful because she's, like, around, right? So, yeah. yeah. And so what happens then if you come face-to-face with her? Like, do people have stories of interacting with her in some way? Well, most of them are, like, I got really scared and I ran away. <laughs> Sensible stories, exactly. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, there's some sort of difference between the way that men and women tell the story. Like, women, I find, uh, and, like, a lot of academics have recorded this as well, for them, it's most about this origin story that I've been telling you about. So it's like some sort of like cautionary tale about like don't 
fall in love with a guy and have children out of wedlock. This coming, of course, from a conservative like portion of the society who's like trying to get women to not like violate these society rules, right? Yes. Um, but for men, the way that she manifests is that she's a beautiful woman dressed in white and she appears at night mostly when you're out partying and drinking. So like you're on your way back home and you will like run into this beautiful woman. You normally can only see her from the back. She's wearing a white dress and she has like this beautiful black hair. So like men will follow her or she will like somehow uh, invite them to follow her. And the minute that they are like in a secluded spot alone, she turns around and her face either becomes uh, like a skull or like a horse-like creature. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's very, very interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard that bit about the horse-like creature part before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like she, and super, like the way you will hear most of these stories is like, oh, well, my uncle used to drink a lot or he used to party a lot. He was a womanizer, but then he had this encounter with La Llorona and he said like, I'm never drinking again. Right. So yeah, it's that kind of story for men. Um, but I think the most common personal experience narratives that you will find with La Llorona are like people who say that hear her cries. It's yeah. not so much about like seeing her. It's about like, uh, here that auditory yeah, kind of exactly. interaction. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, there is this uh, creature in Irish folklore called the Banshee, mm -hmm. which is a, a washing woman who often is seen, uh, you know, near bodies of water, uh, washing clothes sometimes, or a burial shroud in other stories. And and she's known for her wailing, her her incessant kind of uh, weeping and wailing, and and there are versions of those stories that say she's largely attached to certain families, but that if you hear that wailing, it is a, a premonition, a token that something is going to happen, that that someone will die in that in that particular family. Yeah. So it's just interesting how these things kind of cross cultures and, and appear in different in different ways. H how well known is she in Mexico? I would say, like, I am not one to generalize, but I think that if you ever meet someone from Mexico and ask them about La Llorona, they are going to know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. I I never heard this story from my parents, but I heard it in school. Like, all of my friends knew about her, and my uncles did. So, like, you have like plenty of ways of like running into La Llorona somehow yeah yeah and th so then has she made the crossover then into pop culture like do you see her represented in in modern media in some way well in Mexican media I don't think I have lately at least I remember there used to be these children's books that I had when I was a kid and there was one about La Llorona uh, but like lately in 2018 I want to say there was this uh, film that came out The Curse of La Llorona, La Llorona. I don't know if you saw that mm -hmm. I didn't see it but I knew that it came out yeah, well, you're shaking your head. I no, should not. It's not no, I, accurate, I, or I don't know. No, like <laughs> to me, honestly, it's like a generic ghost story. Their origin story is like very disconnected to what's okay. happening, and also like it depends on how you want to read the story. But like this is happening in a Mexican American community, which is a huge 
part like it's a huge thing for La Llorona as well like uh, Mexican Americans have brought those stories for her and there are like plenty of stories of La Llorona that have to do with the anxiety of like the border crossing between Mexico oh, and okay. the states like yeah. people say that they see her wandering through the river that separates Mexico and the United States um, but in here I found it funny that the character that kind of like defeats La Llorona is the only one who's like not from a Mexican background she's like the only American in the mm. film like the film has like a very diverse cast but it's the American leading lady who that seems very American exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know there was just something about it but yeah 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 uh, so, what was your introduction then? You you had heard relatives talk about it. You had these books mm -hmm. as as kids. It, was she an impact on you wanting to kind of study the, you you know this kind of supernatural stuff? Yeah, I guess she's always been around. So <laughs> that's that was kind of it. I guess at first, you know how sometimes we feel like I don't want to research what's like super popular. But I started noticing that in Mexico, yeah, we have a lot of stories about her, but there isn't much academic research being done about her. It's mostly like collecting these stories, but not like analyzing them right. from like an academic perspective. Yeah. So that's part of what drew me to it. But also, yeah, just like remembering these stories that my uncle would tell me. He was like, you know, like last night I heard La Llorona and I was <laughs> like... What do you mean? Where? And he lives like uh, in a rural part of Mexico. He lives close to a river. So he would say like, no, she was out last night walking next to the river and like all the dogs were barking. And so it was like Llorona. And just like remembering those stories made me like want to like know more about her. Huh. So interesting. Yeah. So when you when you decided to to do this research for mm -hmm. your for your MA uh, for your MA research, uh, where did you start? Where, you, because you've you've narrowed it down a bit because you're looking at how the story relates to political mm -hmm. activism and theater. How did you how did you narrow down your your research proposal that way? Yeah. Um, well, I was. I actually came across into a newspaper article in which I saw all of these women who were dressed up as La Llorona and they were protesting violence in Mexico City. And I was like, well, she's a woman who murdered her kids. Like, why would you use her to protest violence? To me, like, it didn't make sense. Um, so that attracted me to, to the idea of, like, talking to these women and maybe, like, getting an idea of what La Llorona is for them now. Like, has she transformed over the years? Because, like, she's proven to be such a flexible legend that I think that's why she has, like, persisted for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, when I went and talked to them, I realized that they are giving her completely a new reading. They are thinking of her as a victim of her circumstances and not as a murderous mother. They're like, no, she represents, like, what's most important about her is that she represents this pain that women feel when they lose a child. Right. And unfortunately, there are many women in Mexico right now who have lost sons and daughters to violence. So they are, like, evoking that image, like, that grief. Uh, and particularly, they are using her to protest people who are missing. So there's no closure there. And it's just like La Llorona is condemned to wander the earth until she finds her kids which might be never yeah so like these women are creating that connection to them in that to her in that sense um so yeah that's and so t how do they how do they structure this their acts of protest are they is it a a formal group an informal group how do they how do they work well i'm like looking at two different cases the protesters are um 
independent protesters like there was uh, an activist who organized the protest and she just like put out a call open for like whatever people wanted to get involved and most of the women who responded were activists uh, but they are not like a part of a collective or anything they were just like women who are like concerned about what's going on in the country and they wanted to like participate in this protest and felt like La Llorona was the right way to convey this anxiety, right? This uh, worry for what's going on. And the other case is a theater company because they have been playing this um, performance uh, for like the last 25 years. Wow. But um, since the last 10 years, they've started like devoting the play to a different social cause. So in 2018, which is the year that I'm looking for in my research, they dedicated it to the missing people in Mexico. And uh, for them, yeah, it's a completely different reading because for them, they're more focused on the indigenous identity of La Llorona, whereas like the protesters are talking about this motherhood aspect and the loss and grief aspect. For them, it's more about like reclaiming the Mexican roots, what they see as like the Mexican roots, the Aztec roots, kind of. And they see like an act of empowerment in doing that and like an act of like giving La Llorona the power to retell her story because they're kind of like changing the way they are telling it. Again, they are portraying La Llorona as a victim of a circumstances of like the Spanish colonizers arriving in Mexico and like her killing her child as a way of protecting him from what was coming because she knew that there was like no space. So like her kid is like the product of like her... It's... I guess it is framed as kind of like a rape by mm -hmm. like a Spanish soldier to like a, an indigenous woman. And she doesn't want the kid to be taken by the Spanish conquistadors, but she also knows that her kid is of like a mixed race and there's not really space for him in the society. So she decides to offer the kid to the Aztec goddess of the underworld. And that's like an act of freedom of like empowering okay. rather than just like she did it because she was mad with grief and yeah. she had lost her man right yeah so and yeah. so where does the theater company perform what who is their audience yeah well it's super interesting because they are performing in a place in mexico city called xochimilco and it's a place in the southern part of the city kind of and it's known for its huge canals and like bodies of water so the theater the play is represented in the middle of uh one of these lakes and the audience gets to see it on a boat oh okay so yeah everything's happening on that small island and you're just like watching from the distance in your boat and at the end like la llorona actually walks into the water and just like goes into the water so it's like a very dramatic performance but uh, that way they get to connect it with that lore that tells us about La Llorona being connected to this water um, thing I don't yeah, know yeah I, I, I understand what you mean so in, in the performance in the theater performance uh, how is she portrayed physically like what is her what does she look like in the in the theater performance dressed in white when she's La Llorona already because at first when she's a living woman she's wearing all of these like Aztec regalia like you know she has like the feathers and just like the traditional dressing and everything but when she becomes La Llorona she's just like long black hair and a white dress and the makeup they're doing her is like very interesting because they kind of like make her look like a skeleton um 
And the protesters, on the other hand, they were like, we don't want to look like protest, like a skeleton, sorry. So, like, the as I told you, the only consensus is that she's a woman in white. Right. Yeah. 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 So when the protesters are uh, enacting her, when they're when they're dressed as her, uh, are they are they wearing a, a similar kind of white dresses? What are they? And they they don't make up their faces. What? They do. They do. They were. They all wore like. Uh, white kind of like stained dresses uh, and veils over okay. their faces. Yeah. Uh, but they also use like a white makeup to make them look like pale and ghost-like. Yes. Uh, but they didn't do the, the skeleton thing. Right. So, yeah. Okay. And what what is the reaction to these two different groups when when people you know watch the performance or are on the street where the protesters are what what do people think of this in mexico i think the protesters get like got like a good reaction from the audience it's also very interesting because as you're asking me there are actually no way to know there's no way to know that they are la llorona like only if you are familiar with that tradition then you see these women in white walking and like wailing and you know like that's la llorona because otherwise like for someone who's not from mexico they might be like what's going on here right uh and the theater play well like they've been doing this for 25 years and every time it's like their tickets sell out and it's just become like a huge like people wait for this play because it only happens during the end of October and until like mid November. That's like when the season goes. Like they bank on Halloween and Day of the Dead because that's when people are like craving these kind of stories. Even though they like make a point of saying we're not portraying like a horror story. Right. We're like talking about like our indigenous past. We're talking right. about like that the legend in that sense. They don't want. They don't want people to understand La Llorona just as a scary ghost. And that's why they're using her to, like, talk about these social issues, right? Um, so, yeah, but I would say that in general, people in Mexico really, they all know La Llorona, as I was telling you. So yeah, yeah. they have a very positive reaction when they see her. And also they can empathize with this uh, pain of a mother who has lost their kids. Yeah. So I think in that way they are being successful mm. with you, you mentioned how some of this is happening around Halloween. Mm. Uh, is Halloween uh, fairly a fairly new tradition in in Mexico? Is it becoming more kind of Americanized? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So like I remember when I was a child, like I would never think about doing trick or treating or that sort of thing but like in the last years I've actually got some trick-or-treaters at my house which was really surprising it varies a lot like one year you might get five kids and then like no one shows up or something like that and also like the it's funny because they are don't they don't say trick-or-treat when they go to your door like they have made a Mexican version of what they say and I guess they still what it would translate into into do you want to give me a skull well, me da mi calaverita, like some, yeah. <laughs> and some kids are doing it on November 1st. Yeah. Uh, because in like the Mexican tradition, in November 1st is the night when the souls of the children come back. Hmm. And November 2nd is the day for the adults, right? Okay. So, uh, it's becoming again like a syncretic thing. Yeah. But we're 100% influenced by what we get from the media and being so close to the United States. Yeah, yeah. It is very common. Like now we have like shops full of Halloween props and decorations. <laughs> yes, yeah. And like, yeah, there's people who like 
use all of them to just make their houses look Halloweeny. So yeah, yeah, uh, and that that association, like you said, the 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 theater group doing their performance at that time of year. Has there been a connection between uh, La Llorona and the Day of the Dead, or is that kind of another example of how the tradition is shifting? I think it's an example of how the tradition is shifting because, because La Llorona has no dates. Like, she can just Come appear anytime. whenever, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But there's just something about that date. And, for example, like, uh, so the leading actress that I was talking to, she has this really great experience, I would say, with La Llorona, in which she was... Because she's been playing her for the last 10 years. So she has developed some sort of like really intimate connection to the character. And uh, she was telling me that during her play in November 1st, her uncle died and she was really sad about it. And she says that while she was performing, she found herself talking to La Llorona and like saying, why would you do this to me? Like, I'm here for you. I talk to you. I sing to you in this play. And then like you're taking my uncle away from me on this day when I have to be, like, on the play, right? And she says that she had some sort of vision in which she saw La Llorona and she was, like, taking her uncle in her arms and, like, holding him. And to her, it was, like, La Llorona answering to her sort Mm -hmm. of, like, prayers and telling her, I did it on this day because this day is when I'm here and I can take him, like, with me. I can make his crossing easier, Right. Interesting. So yeah. So even though there's not like strict connection, I would say between the Day of the Dead and uh, La Llorona, this play has developed that sort of connection yeah. in a sense that that's when it is represented. Now I have to. I, 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 we're drawing kind of towards the end of our time here, but I have to ask you: uh, Have you had an experience of your own? I haven't, <laughs> unfortunately. Because unfortunately, I've you. always wanted to have some sort of like supernatural experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I was talking to this uh, person that I just told you about, she was telling me, well, you know, uh, I, th- she believes in La Llorona kind of like as an Aztec goddess. Mm-hmm. And she says, I believe that she has reclaimed you and that's why you're here. So she will probably manifest in your life in a way. So be like be prepared ready. for that. So yeah, I will tell you if it happens. Do you think you're ready? Are you ready to? I don't think so. <laughs> but I hope I am when she arrives. Yeah, yeah. There's a local story. Maybe I'll just finish off with this. It's it's an interesting story. There's um, a, a spot in St. John's that there used to be open water and now there there isn't. The water's all underground now. But in that kind of green belt area between uh, the downtown area and Churchill Park, there's that kind of green belt. There used to be a stream that ran down there around where the um, Lions Club Curling Club is. And there's stories there about um, there's a story there about two children uh, going down there in kind of the winter time, and an old woman uh, standing kind of on the ice. And as the boys came down, the, the old woman would kind of chased them away from the ice and they went home and told their parents about how this old woman had uh, chased them away from the ice and the parents went down and there was no one there of course on the ice but the ice was very very uh, thin at that point and so if the boy the the story is that if the boys had gone out onto this water this woman would have uh, or this the water the ice would have broken and they would have fallen in and been drowned and so this spirit woman on the water there had kind of 
saved those those little boys. Aww. So I don't know if she was a weeping woman, and I don't know if she was in white, but it is interesting that we have these stories about these protective, warning female figures yeah. that kind of found everywhere. You can think about that next time you're walking to <laughs> Memorial. Oh, yeah. my God. Yes, I will. So thank you for coming on the show. If people have a story... Uh, or they want to follow you in some way. What's the what's the easiest way to reach you? Uh, I guess you can find me on Twitter. Yep. Um, so my handle is folklorette. Folklorette. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, or uh, just through my mom email, which I will share yep. to you. Yes. Okay. We can put it on the on our blog. Yeah, because it's really long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But well, we'll we'll promote your at folklorette Twitter handle. Uh, Mariana, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Vale. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.